0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, May 11 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And I suppose the most significant development in college athletics since we last recorded last week is NCAA President Mark Emmert Tell the New York Times over the weekend that he wants the association's board members to approve new rules allowing student-athletes to make money from their name, image, and likeness rights this summer. Now, this comes as five states, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico are set to have name, image, and likeness laws go into effect in less than two months on July 1st. So it appears we've reached panic time for the NCAA. They've had years to do something on name, image, and likeness. They've done nothing for years, So now Mark Emmert is on record saying he wants something done soon. Two questions for you. One, do you think the NCAA will actually do something as it pertains to the name, image and likeness rights in advance of July 1st? And two, if so, will it be enough to satisfy all state laws?
1: N- no, it won't be enough to satisfy all state laws. Those Bama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico, those five states set to uh, activate NIL allowances. Uh, they're similar, but they're different in their own ways. I-, I don't think that there's going to be a situation in which the NCAA NIL. If it comes to pass by July one, and we're talking about seven weeks from now here, I don't think it's going to satisfy that. Um, Do I think that the NCAA will get something in line by July 1? I do because I think Emmert saying what he said to the New York Times over the weekend is significant in how predictably his tone has changed as well. Uh, You know, if you go back to a year ago, a little beyond that, and the typical expected quotes from Emmert about what name, image, and likeness would do to college athletics— uh, you know, he was more than swimming upstream. I mean, it was it was a losing proposition from the start. And now that we are this close to real change coming at a state legislative level, like this is the exact scenario the NCLA didn't want to be handed, GP, I do think we'll get something. I can't tell you how significant it will be. Now, we are now in—the wheels are in motion in what will be, in my opinion, the most significant— off-season of change for the NCAA in a very long time. Maybe the most significant one ever because you are actually getting to a point here where legislation will be enacted to allow players to profit off of their talent while they are in college. Has never been happened before. This is actually a a very significant spring, summer, and fall for the NCAA, and so I think we're going to have something, but I don't know what it's going to be, and I'm intrigued to see what it will be. The next steps we could possibly have on this will probably come next week when the division one council meets um now that's not the group that will ratify this that would have to be the board of governors and we don't have a timeline on that either but I think Emmert saying what he said on on the record to our nation's paper of record signals that he believes we are going to have something coming from the NCAA level that probably isn't going to satisfy anyone but whatever I do think we will have something though GP by July 1
0: But if it doesn't go as far as the furthest state law goes, then you have what the NCAA has obviously wanted to avoid, which is different universities operating under different rules like that seems to be where we're headed, at least temporarily. You know what the NCAA wants long term? It's for Congress to pass a federal law that supersedes all state laws that way. You know, in all 50 states, every university is operating with the same set of standards. This is what is allowed. This is what is not allowed. Um, but, 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 but we're not going to be there July 1st. We might get there eventually, but at least for a period of time, whether it's weeks, months, and I guess I wouldn't rule out years, you're going to have schools in different states um, allowed to by extension, offer things that that other schools cannot offer. In other words, um, you know, and this is just a hypothetical, but it's not unrealistic you know, given where we're headed. Let's say there's a McDonald's All-American basketball player, class of 2022. So getting ready, just wrapping up his junior year of high school, he's got his senior year of high school to come. There is a scenario where even if the NCAA does something, to allow student athletes to profit off name, image, and likeness rights to some degree, if it doesn't satisfy the furthest state law, you will have some schools operating um, with an advantage and other schools operating with a disadvantage. And there's a scenario where um, Florida and Kentucky could be recruiting the same player, a McDonald's All-American point guard. And this player is trying to decide, where do I want to do? Do I want to go play in the SEC at UK? Or play in the sec of florida and michael white and i think the NCAA will actually frown upon this but trust me it's going to happen we'll be able to honestly tell um this prospect if you come to florida because of our state's name image and likeness rights you will be able to uh, uh our, our state's name image and likeness laws you'll be able to um, accept an endorsement deal with A, B, or C for x amount of dollars and if you go to kentucky You're not going to be allowed to do that. So do you want to come to Florida, play in the SEC and pocket 150 grand? Or do you want to go to Kentucky, play in the SEC and do it for a scholarship and cost of attendance stipend? Like there there is a realistic scenario where that is the world we're living in. And that is what the NCAA wanted to avoid. But because the NCAA has kicked this down the curb consistently and delayed and delayed and delayed for no good reason, most times um, this is where we're at. And so. You know, it is what it is. Now they're, you know, at least Mark Emmert is saying we got to do something. Well, you've had years to do something. Uh, You know, this is this is the equivalent of you've got a 40 page paper due, um, you know, tomorrow morning and you decide to start working on it at midnight. Like, hey, you've known this was due for a while. Why are you just now getting on it?
1: There are 13 states that have uh, approved name, image, and likeness legislation. Uh, Five, again, Bama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico will go live in July. And then the other eight uh, vary throughout 2022 and then 2023. Those who have been following the story for a while will remember it was, uh, I want to say, September of 2019 when California passed its Fair Pay-to-Play Act. That was the first state. Now, that one doesn't go live until, I think, January 1 of 23, but that's what really set this ball rolling was California and its legislators saying, this can't continue anymore, and that's really what got um, Emmerich into a tizzy and, and all this thing going. Now, the other element to all of this is that The NCAA has gone to Congress to ask for a nationwide federal mandate that allows for NIL, so every state has to abide by this. The problem with this, as it relates to what we're talking about specifically right now, is that it's unlikely we're going to have federal bills a bill that goes through by and not unlike it's not going to happen like that's just not reality we are not going to have a situation where we're talking on this podcast in the final week of june and the federal government has uh passed a bill that is waiting for joe biden's signature to go into law as it pertains to nil for college athletes that can and probably will eventually happen it's not happening this month or next month. So because of that, what the NCAA and what Mark Emmert is is saying here is we need to have something on our, in our rule book that can get ratified as soon as possible, that can at least lessen the potential chaos that can be at play here with this, because absent of that, you do have a situation where like there might need to be waivers that have to be given out and applied across the board so that, you won't have lawsuits. I will share one quote from our colleague, Dennis Dodd, who has a, a deep dive on this. I will link it in the podcast description. It's about a seven, eight-minute read. I I suggest you go and read it. Um, this is a quote uh, from one of the people who talked to in the story. He said, We're watching the NCAA's influence, power, and leverage diminish before our eyes. It needs federal help to implement NIL. Whether or not it gets it, states NIL laws will supersede whatever the NCAA has in place, at least for a period of time. In essence the NCAA is losing its grip on what made it the NCAA oversight of the collegiate amateurism model. And that to me is the most fascinating thing about this. It is going, kicking and screaming, but the NCAA is on its way to handing over oversight and allowance on the very thing that defines what the NCAA has been about for more than 100 years Uh, Two other legislators and how we get there in the next few months and how that process uh, meets up with whatever we're going to see. If we see anything from the NCAA, to to circle back to the question you asked at the top of the pod, GP, will be interesting to me because I do think if we do have – the states are doing this July 1. Those five states are doing it, and those are heavily – Bama, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida. Say those states, you say SEC, baby how those states use those NIL rules and how it doesn't completely line up with whatever the NCAA might do. I do think you are looking at a situation where they have to apply for waivers because I don't think the NCAA is going to get involved. You were asking for lawsuit after lawsuit, and it's the exact thing that Emmert didn't want to get involved with to begin with. So I do think it will be a little bit of a confusing, but still plenty compelling July and August for the NCAA as it waits for all this stuff to line up. And oh, by the way, this stuff also still ties into the Alston case that the Supreme Court heard because that deal that also touches on um, allowances for players and antitrust exemption for the NCAA as it pertains to NIL. So that will also factor in here. And I think we're supposed to get um, the hearing from the Supreme Court sometime either by the end of May or in early June.
0: If you remember when California's bill was first introduced, the NCAA more or less threatened um, the the entire enterprise by suggesting at least that, hey, you you guys can do whatever you want, but if you get out in front of us and you start allowing your quarterbacks, point guards, cornerbacks, anybody to accept money, In violation of NCAA rules, you know, you could be banned from college football playoff. You could be banned from um, the NCAA tournament. Like you could, you know, run into postseason bans. Um, and so it was like the the questions you would get when you'd go on radio or anywhere else and talk about this stuff was, so you're telling me. California passes a law. It's out in front of the NCAA's rules. The UCLA starting center does an endorsement deal with a bank. The NCAA says you're in violation of our rules. UCLA, you are not allowed to participate in the NCAA. That, that's really where we're headed. And it, it is at least what the NCAA was suggesting was possible. Um, I say all that to say this. Mark Emmert has backed off of that. He has now said that the NCAA will not penalize athletes from benefiting from their state's name, image, and likeness laws. In other words, when this goes into effect in Alabama, Florida, Mississippi, New Mexico, wherever, um, whatever the law says you're allowed to do, you'll be allowed to do. And the NCAA is no longer even suggesting that you or your school would be punished because of it. Here's my question. What happens if a player, a student athlete in Iowa, a, a state that has not passed name, image, and likeness law, By July 1st, if the student athlete in Iowa just says, if the player in Florida is allowed to do this, I'm going to do it too. And now, hey, incidentally, handle it however you want to handle it. What does the incidentally do then? If a student athlete in a state without name, image and likeness laws tries to benefit from his or her name, image and likeness in a similar way to a student athlete will try to do in Florida or Alabama or Georgia or Mississippi or New Mexico, Then what happens? Will the NCAA really step up and say, Iowa student athlete, you're not allowed to do this. You're now ineligible, even though the Florida student athletes are good to go. That to me is going to be. Where I it think gets yes,
1: Iowa. I know you're using complete hypothetical. Iowa is the one that's interesting in that uh, one. you has got Jordan Bohannon on the rock, just just he plays at the University of Iowa. He's going to return, and he is. Yeah,
0: I, I didn't say Iowa for any other reason than it's just right. just a state. So let's that's just it. let's
1: let's pick one. Like let's pick uh, my own state, Connecticut. There's nothing. There's n- nothing in my state right now that is pending that's on the books or whatever. A UConn student athlete wants to do this. Um, Yes, I do think that they would be sat down and be and be made ineligible. Now, it would it would also stir interesting debate conversations about all this stuff. Again, barring that player doing something outside the periphery of whatever might be nil stuff on the books with all of this, so uh, certainly something to keep in mind there. Again, it is going to be a a. a A good spring and summer, but noisy for the NCAA. We are finally getting to a point here where players are going to be afforded more. Plenty would argue still not enough, and I hear that entirely, but uh, uh, at its core, NIL allowances are something that should have existed from the start, and... Frankly, the NCAA is is hoping, and people think it's a long shot, but it's the Supreme Court. I guess anything's possible. They're hoping that when the Supreme Court rules on this, that the Supreme Court says it sides with the NCAA and says you can you can make the line of delineation between what is pro and what is amateur, and we're going to provide you with antitrust uh, exemption status. I've got my suspicions about that to begin with here, but the next question is when? Just again, to circle back to what you asked off the top. Will the NCAA actually do this? I think Emmert is speaking on the record about this because he believes it will happen before July 1. Okay, if it does, what is that going to entail? And what would the NCAA's emergency NIL bylaw, where would that fall short to what they're doing in Florida or what they're doing in New Mexico, what they're doing in Georgia, et cetera, et cetera? That's the next stage of this story. And I would think... I would think we should know more about that by the end of the month.
0: If you want to watch all of this get sped up pretty quickly, just wait till July first. I think what I think whatever happens um, is going to happen pretty quickly throughout this country after July first. Here's why: um, there's a scenario where we're at Peach Jam, and there again a McDonald's All American there, and he is openly talking about yeah, I've got, I'm being recruited by this school, that school, and that school, but I know if I go to this school, I can profit off my name, image, and likeness rights to an unlimited um, degree. And in these other schools, in these other states, that's not allowed right now. And so, yeah, I'm leaning toward going toward this, to this school in this state. That's going to motivate other states to either quickly try to get laws on the books and maybe even take them further than they would, feel comfortable going in a vacuum. This is going to – I know the NCAA from the jump said, we don't want this to become a recruiting tool, but that's just dumb. It is undeniably going to be a recruiting tool. Like Dan Mullen in Dennis Dodd's story, like it's basically acknowledged. Like we've been preparing for this and recruiting towards it, you know, for a while now. Um, It's going to be a recruiting tool. And once one state has recruiting advantages over other states, those states – are going to put real pressure on their lawmakers to, 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 Hey, adapt our law qu- quickly. Um, we can't ke- like, uh, imagine uh, Duke and North Carolina lose a, a prospect to Kentucky based on name, image, and like the difference in name, image, and likeness laws in one state to the other, like that, that there is a possibility that that is exactly what happens all over this country between different rivals. And, the state's on the wrong side of that um they're gonna have people pushing within the state to get on the right side of that and so this thing could I know everything moves slowly with the NCAA but this is all hypothetical right now wait till you actually stop start losing recruits to your rival based on your state's laws compared to those state's laws that's when this stuff really gets moving
1: yeah it's uh it's long overdue. It, it kind of feels a little not surreal, but like we're finally like on the doorstep of this parish. So as again, as this story continues to be relevant, and it will be. I mean, the the Supreme Court stuff doesn't directly tie to NIL, but it impacts it, and that'll probably that'll actually probably be the, one of the noisiest headlines we'll have pertaining to this. Like we'll keep you updated and informed on it. But given Emmert's comments over the weekend to the New York Times, like it was. I mean, we wish he would have said this a decade ago, but the fact that he said this on the record, it actually it, it signified an important step-forward acknowledgement, uh, even if he was pushed there for years to do it. Uh, him saying that, uh, to me, it indicates something from the NCAA level. It, at least it should be coming by July 1, but we got to see it materialize. Well, keep in
0: mind, less than a decade, he was calling name, image, and likeness rights for student-athletes. Mark Emmert was an existential crisis. Quote, now he's pushing his board of governors to pass NIL rules. In advance of July 1st, that's how uh, drastically he has changed, not because he wants to, but because he's being forced to by state lawmakers. Let's move on. Hartford has announced it's going from Division one to Division three in college athletics just two months after making the NCAA tournament in men's basketball for the first time in history. We'll get into that story next. But first, check this out. So Hartford has announced it's going from division one to division three, just two months after making the NCAA tournament in men's basketball for the first time in school history, obviously disappointing news for John Gallagher, his staff, the players in that program. I I believe you talked to John in in the past week. Um, if so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if yeah. so, what did he have to say about this decision? I know he's disappointed.
1: I talked to Gallagher for 10 minutes on Friday. I'm going to talk to him later on Tuesday. There will be a story out uh, on CBSports.com or your CBS Sports app that you can read later this week that'll get into more of the reality of what this is and whether or not they can reverse this decision. But I did talk to him briefly on Friday, and we caught up um, about all of this. He... All right, so... One thing at a time here. Hartford is has voted to go to D3 in the year 2025. The timing couldn't be worse from a PR standpoint because they just made their first NCAA tournament. And oh, by the way, they're almost certainly going to have the best team in the America East next season, the best team in school history, and could well make the tournament next season as like a 13 or a 14 seed. And if you do that and you win a game, you get... Money for your university, for your whole league there. Uh, so this could become something of a of an intriguing story next March, depending on where everything stands. Um, how about this? A couple of details I can share with you. Gallagher told me that within an hour of losing to Baylor in the NCAA tournament, he was told that his school president wanted to move the school to Division three and that the wheels were in motion. Imagine that. Like you make your first tournament as a head coach ever. You play against—you don't know it at the time—but you're playing against a one seed. They eventually they're the national champions. You lose. It's a bummer, not not unexpected, but like you're still wallowing in that loss. And then you get told within an hour that, oh, by the way, this whole thing that we got here, like five years from now, not even going to be possible. You're going down. You're going down to D3. That's just a ton to uh, to take in there. So Gallagher, um, he told me, "I'm here to win the fight." I'm not here to leave the fight. He thinks there's still a chance. He th- he thinks there's a chance that this could be reversed. Rest assured, Gallagher, who GP knows well, uh, extremely passionate, emotional. He has been fighting this on a daily basis behind the scenes since even it was it was known publicly. So since that night, basically, he has been he has been fighting for this, and it's obviously a devastating blow. Um, the America East will now lose a program if this continues to go the way it's going to go. I mean, the board voted the way it, it voted. Uh, the president, who got caught in some shady stuff, like basically trying to uh, to stack the deck here, and it got stacked. That's the way they're going. Now, to be fair, the the school and whatever research it did, they think they're going to save you know nine million dollars in athletics if they go from D one to D three. Oh, by the way, when you do this, like. The reason why this still has a chance, Parrish, is that Hartford cannot even, as, a, as an institution, it cannot even go to the NCAA and officially apply to reclassify until January of next year. So this next four, five, six months is really the period where if it can be reversed, this is when you want to reverse it. And, and the case that could be laid out there, but you've already had the board say, yes, we're voting to do this. Um, I had one other person uh, tell me that the university financially is in dire straits. It's a sinking ship. Um, they have to get out of Division One. So maybe it is not going to be something that's reversible. But it's a story worth discussing. Uh, if Hartford had been, if you know, if Gallagher was on his way out and wasn't a good coach and they had sucked, this isn't getting hardly any attention. They just made the tournament. They're the best team in their league now. It's taken forever, and. Um, it's obviously a, a rough story and uh, for me in particular, just because I live in the state like I've, I've heard plenty of noise about this so it, and it it's, it's flared my radar perhaps even more than it has flared yours just because of my of my location and, and given the fact that the, the program is in the midst of, of its greatest run ever and potentially could actually afford its athletic department some some more money going forward if it continue to be if it can continue to be good but it is an uphill battle and uh, you know UAB, it kicked out, it, it 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 ceased having football at that level, and it was salvaged. There have been cases in recent history where this has been saved. Even at like Towson Baseball was supposed to be eliminated. And then it went to the College World Series, and it it saved its program there. So there are some recent instances where this has happened. I just don't know how likely it will be for you, Hart, to be able to uh, to hang on. But I'll talk to Gallagher later today, and I'll have a uh, a longer story on this later on the site this week.
0: There is no question that the reason this is a national story, something we talked about on Time to Shine last Friday when I did it with Adam Zucker, something you and I are talking about here on the Island College Basketball Podcast is because Hartford is coming off of a trip to the NCAA tournament. Like, you know, we all sat there on that Saturday morning and watched Hartford secure the automatic bid to the tournament, and John Gallagher have that incredible moment you know, talking post-game on television, and then they go to the NCAA tournament, they play Baylor, like, they competed, you know, for a while, ultimately. You know, Baylor was a one-seed, and, you know, Hartford wasn't, and so, you know, what happens, happens. But, um, you know, Hartford made an imprint um, on the sport in, in this past year, specifically in March, and... I don't know how many casual college basketball fans were familiar with John Gallagher before this thing got started, but most college basketball media was because he's like one of my favorite guys, big personality, fun, like the type of guy you root for. Or I won't speak for anybody else, certainly the type of guy I root for. I could not have been happier watching him um, secure that NCAA tournament berth like I sat in my hotel room in New York and that was you know uh, uh, there was no other way I wanted to spend that early Saturday uh, than by watching Hartford get done what it got done even at the expense of Elvis Presley's alma mater and to then have that ripped away right now under these circumstances is just a gut punch Uh, like if this were Maine you know dropping to division three it wouldn't be nearly the same story because like who you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say who cares. I, I'm the student athletes at Maine care, just like the student athletes at Hartford care. But like Maine didn't, didn't just go to the NCAA tournament. Most people haven't seen Maine's coach on television. It, it wouldn't register the same way. But for this to happen to Hartford and John um, uh, so quickly after, you know, breaking through and, you know, becoming an NCAA tournament team for the first time, like I said, real gut punch. And um, I'm, I'm disappointed for them. I don't like the decision. I recognize that they did do that study um, and it was commissioned by President Woodward and conducted by a consulting firm called Car Sports. And the study did indicate that they would save $9.2 million a year um, by dropping from division one to division three. Um, but like, that's funny math. I mean, I'm, I'm not disputing the, the study, but like, does that take into account um, eliminating the possibility of of getting, you know, NCAA tournament win money. Does it eliminate, um, does that take into account um, some booster who might decide if you're doing this to the athletic department I care about, to the coach I've developed a relationship with, well, then I'm not giving you my X amount of dollars next year. Like, does it take that stuff into account? Uh, I I am certain, or at least I'm not ruling out the possibility that Hartford can save some money by going from division one to division three, like this seems to be motivated by money, but is it really 9.2 million? And if, and, and if it isn't whatever the number is, is it really worth doing to rip away this, the, you know, what John and the other coaches on that campus have built, like John's the most high profile right now because of the incident tournament appearance, but I'm confident there are other coaches on that campus who have built relevant things, respectable things, who have put in the time, the hours, the sweat that I know John and his staff have put in, and to have it all ripped away is, um, uh, again, disappointing. Um, I do think Division I men's basketball, Division One sports in general is too big. Like, I don't think we need 351 teams competing for the same national title. Like, the idea that the Tennessee Vols and Tennessee Martin are technically competing for the same thing
1: it's ridiculous. Well, it's also it's also part of the sports charm, but I agree. We so on a, on a micro level, the Hartford situation is terrible, and we'd like to see it be able to be salvaged. But at the same time, if you could toss out a hundred programs and make D one like two fifty, I think that's the perfect number. Yeah,
0: like if you were to chop out the bottom six conferences or eight comp, whatever. I don't. I'd be like I could get down with that. But this isn't that. This is one school at yeah. the top of its league now deciding we're giving up on what it is again this is a college basketball podcast so let's just focus on college basketball this is one school at the top of its league at its peak um saying we're giving up on what john gallagher and his staff and those student athletes have built we're out we know we just got a taste of 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 what it feels like to to actually accomplish something that we've all dreamt of accomplishing, but now we're clocking out. That's disappointing. And if I were John, I would be disappointed and frustrated.
1: Um, It should be no surprise that he is. Um, Yeah. Agreed. And I wonder how many other schools behind the scenes may have looked at this because of the pandemic and the financial ramifications of that. Uh, I haven't heard word of anyone else, but I have to believe there there certainly have to be a handful of schools. I mean, UC Riverside, I know, was debating doing this, and it will stay D1. So the, UC Riverside, on the other side of the country, was looking at dropping out of Division one, and a few days ago made a statement that it is recommitting itself to D1. So that's one. you got to figure there are... 5 10 15 others that are at least looking at it and we'll see if any of them decide to make a, a similar move like Hartford.
0: Again, Norlander is going to be talking to John Gallagher, the Hartford coach later on today and then that story will be published. At CBSsports.com so make sure to check it out. Shout's to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester South Carolina, shouts to Quincy Acey, Legend. Shouts to Larnell, thank you guys for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Deadly, you see this this morning, Dr. Fauci? You know what he said? Nope. He said we're going to get back to normal very soon, as long as vaccination rates continue to go the right direction. Very soon. Those are Dr. Fauci's words, not mine. We've already had a boxing match, at and Stadium, in front of 73,000 people indoors. And soon enough, things like that will be happening all over this wonderful country. You looking forward to it, Deadly?
1: Uh, whatever gets us out of you talking about the pandemic at every podcast, I'm I'm for it. Let's get let's go. I mean, let's, you worried about these variants at all? Not at the moment.
0: I'm not really at the moment either. I mean, I'd like to get my voice back.
1: Yeah, you yeah, kind of you're still
0: still struggling. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think it's COVID related though, or vaccine related. I think I just lost my voice for some reason.
1: Yeah, you, but you're you're better than you were last week. But you're still yes, remnants there.
0: That's my new goal in life is every week just to be better than I was the previous week in every way whatsoever.
1: That's an admirable goal. I
0: ain't never seen one like this, though. You know, May 11th, we still dealing with this. I still got to put on a mask to go inside Kroger. May 11th, 2021. i never seen one like this. It's wild to think about. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, go subscribe anyway. way you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. And we're going to talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care.